I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you right in. Okay. All right. So, Jake, you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. All right. So, in um, in three, two, one. Hey, this is Wilson. No Jason Wolf this week, as always. No Galvis either. But I'm joined by my uh, my two prestigious co-hosts, as always, Jason Big Mitch Mitchell, Shane Christopher Murray. We also have uh, tonight, uh, uh, well, we have two special guests. One of them is uh, Mitch's uh, queen, Sheila Ali. She's joining us tonight. Uh, but uh, I mean, the, the crown jewel of this episode, no disrespect, Sheila, is uh, a man who's, 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 I mean, has played a very important part in um, something that as record stands, we've been, you know, I mean, we've, we've uh, discussed every episode so far um, of the, uh, the Hulu um, docuseries. Uh, actress and Shane Bush this, this book this game. It's our custom to let whoever books the guests introduce them. Shane, how about you tell us a little bit about our guest, our, our, our special guest tonight? All right. Well, without further ado, we have the editor of the new Lakers doc, Lakers Legacy, Jake Pazinski. How's it going, Jake? Hello, hello. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, no, pleasure. Yeah, so Jake, as Shane said, Jake is the... Uh, the editor of the Lakers Legacy documentary that is, uh, I think that was episode eight, uh, the, the most recent um, episode. Um, and he's done a lot of other stuff also. Um, so I, this is a docuseries, Lakers, a Legacy docuseries. But he also was the editor for uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, What's My Name, which is an HBO documentary. Uh, Silicon Cowboys, uh, Linda Randstad, The Sound of My Voice, and the Oscar goes to uh, that was another another thing that he was the editor of. Um, as far as narrative uh, pieces, um, the, the Wu-Tang and American Saga on Hulu, uh, he's the editor for that. Um, Boulevard, which starred the late, great Robin Williams, he was the editor for that. Uh, the movie Fighting, which starred Channing, Channing Tatum and Terrence Howard, mm -hmm. he was the editor for that. Also, the movie Man Down, which starred Shia, uh, Shia LaBeouf. So this is a major and a noteworthy um, Hollywood uh, professional and I have a lot of questions for him as somebody who uh, has, you know, tried my hand over the years uh, uh, at, uh, you know, filmmaking and editing and things like that. Um, I have a lot of questions for this guy. So we'll start off with Jake's, uh, Jake's background. Uh, Jake, I know you were born in, um, in San Francisco in, uh, in, in 1978. Can you just tell me a few things about your your upbringing and, and how that led you to uh, um, pursuing the career that you uh, that, that has made you uh, a noteworthy person. Yeah, so um, you know, like you said, I grew up in San Francisco. My my father was a photographer um, and did some screenwriting. Uh, my mother made her own documentaries. Um, I grew up actually as a as a jazz pianist and went to school for music and moved to LA for the first time in 97 and was doing music for television commercials. And a guy I was working with, uh, Ditto Montiel, was writing a screenplay based on his life. And, you know, I would, 
we would talk about the script. I would send the script to my father. We would, you know, talk about someday we'll make this movie. And I didn't even know what I was going to do on it. Um, but we, we went out in LA and shot a couple of days around LA and made like a kind of teaser short film sort of thing. And at the place where we were working, um, we had a super basic version of Adobe Premiere and this is 99. Um, and it was just, we used it just to digitize commercials for the composers to write the music to. And we went and shot some stuff and I used that program and kind of taught myself how to edit and cut together a little short film. Um, the guy who owned the company we worked at uh, was good friends with Robert Downey Jr. And Downey would come into the office all the time. And so we gave him the short film and we gave him the script. He loved that. He took it. He was good friends with Sting and Sting's wife, Trudy Styler. He took it to them. They loved him. A couple of years later, we did another short. And the direct, my friend who wrote it, he had never written or directed anything before. And I had never cut anything. But we, so they wanted us to do another short. We shot another short with Downey in it. Um, and long story short, in 2005, they got the financing and they're making the movie and my friend brought me out to cut it. And that movie was a guide to recognizing your saints. And that ended up at Sundance in 2006. And I've been editing since. Um, so I kind of, you know, it wasn't where I thought I was going to be going. Um, and I kind of, you know, I just kind of fell into it and, things have led to other jobs and I got my I met my agent who I've been with since 2006 at Sundance that year and uh, Craig Mizrahi and we've been together ever since and you know and I've been fortunate to just keep getting jobs and landing myself in the right place um so I got a bunch of questions guys so if you guys have any questions please uh jump right in um I don't want to get too far ahead, but I, I just, I, I mean, I've, I'm so fascinated by the, uh, the technical aspect of it. Um, you know, okay, I guess I'll start with this. A as an editor, I heard another interview where you said that you, I know music plays uh, a very important part in your, in your editing process. Um, but what would you say, what would you say is like, I mean, do you have a, do you have a certain style uh, that you would say like a, like a bass style? Uh, another question I have is, is how, how much of the, the editing press editor, how much of it is the director giving you instructions and you try to execute his vision? And how much of it is, you know, the director going, okay, well, I'm just going to let him do his thing, basically. So, I mean, first with the music and the style, I mean, like I, like I said, growing up as a jazz pianist, um, you know, for me, music is incredibly important in in film in general, but just for rhythm and pacing and editing, you know, I think there's a there's an inherent rhythm to editing. And I think because of my music background, it just had like I tend to cut with a musical rhythm. Um, I mean, most importantly to me from the editing is story and character. You know, if you don't and that's from the narrative side to the documentary side. You know, I think one of the things that 
Antoine Fuqua, the director on Legacy, you know, his big thing was from day one, he he compared this to The Godfather and, you know, looked at the Bus family as the family, as the Corleones, you know, and and that's what he wanted. And, it, and, and to me, it was, you know, so it's important for us to know these characters and feel these characters. You know, we wanted to go beyond just Laker fans. You know, we knew we knew Laker fans were going to be all in kind of no matter what. Um, and then we knew that basketball fans would would tune in kind of no matter what. How can we get the non basketball fans and you know and i think the you know the the human story of the bus family even if they are billionaires you know it's a family-run business and and i think a lot of people can you know kind of can understand that you know if they you know and genie genie has said it so many times you know for her it was just the family business if it had been real estate she'd still be with the bus family business um so it's all about a connection to these people because if you don't care about the people, you're not going to care about the story. Um, and then, you know, as far as the director, you know, it changes from project to project. I've been, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of directors that, that trust me and give me my freedom to, to do what I do. And then we, you know, go back and forth. Um, Antoine is, particularly um uh, uh trusting in me he 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 gives me a lot of freedom and and allows me to really do my thing and a lot of his notes are much more big picture and less about the the little things you know for him it's does the story work you know and and it's you know he's so his notes when i sit down and talk to him about things it's so He's so smart about story and making sure that we're not hitting the same beat twice. We're not, you know, we're not getting repetitive. We're not slowing down. We're keeping, we're keeping the momentum, you know, and he's all about that momentum. I mean, you watch his scripted movies. It's like, you're always moving. Um, so, you know, it kind of depends on the director, but I've been lucky. And, and a lot of people have given me my freedom to kind of do what I do. Yeah, uh, when, when I saw the first, like the very first seconds of the first episode, and I said this in the podcast, the first thing I, I said was, I'm so happy that they got a Hollywood director to direct this thing. And basically, but really what I was talking about was the editing. That it was, it was, it was edited it, 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 to me, like, a, like, like, you know, I wasn't expecting, but it was edited like, I watched a lot of documentaries, but the style and the tone of this, is uh, of this uh, Lakers Hulu documentary to me is very. I love the, the, the dramatic stuff. Uh, it's cinematic. It's the word I, I would say. And of course, no matter how much of that is Antoine Fuqua, his vision, no matter what, uh, Mr. Krasinski here, he has to execute it. And of course, there's always, you know, I mean, it just it, it has to it has to come from the editor at his own creative, uh, you know, um, his his creative, you know, instincts basically. Um, I want to mention something also. You said that Fuqua looked at uh, the document, the docuseries like uh, like The Godfather, and you mentioned that Jeannie Buss said that if you know if, if Dr. Buss had stayed in real estate, then she would have been involved in real estate. She would have been involved in the family business, no matter what. And I and I and I I get that 
that comparison you're making because I've always thought like The Godfather and everybody looks at it as a mob movie and it is, but more than that, it's really about the family and and the and the you know and Michael and you know his relationship with his family trying to protect his family. And basically the mob part is really just like the backdrop and it was, you know, we all like mob movies, but no matter what the family business would have been, the story would have almost been just, you know, the same or very similar, you know, because it was really about what's the family. Yeah, it's um, the, the family interaction and family and business and when business becomes more important than family and all of those, you know, struggles. And as we know, the Buzz family has dealt with with all of those on a lot of levels. Right. Um, you guys want to jump in? Because if not, I'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question. Um, John Ireland was saying that th this doc was, was done for a while, but it was just trying to find the right network, the right vehicle to hold it. Were you, were you always a part of the process or did, did the production crew change hands a lot? Or how, how was that process? So Kevin Mann is the lead producer and he's been, I think what he said, he met Jeannie for the first time in 2015. So he, and they started talking about, and Kevin, uh, you know, in the in the sports world, he produced the uh, LeBron James doc more than a game, you know, however many years ago that was, 15 years ago. So he met Jeannie and started talking about this project in 2015. Um, I got started, Antoine, myself, and the writer, Stephen Leckhart, we all came on in March of 2020. So my first day was actually the day that LA went into lockdown. Um, and so, but we, so they, there was, they had filmed some interviews before we started. We didn't use any of those in the doc, but um, we started, we kind of started this version of it in 2020 and Hulu got involved. I don't know if it was late 2020, early 2021. Um, and but yeah we you know our version of it we filmed we did over a hundred interviews um and even to this day we're still you know there's the little finishing touches on episode 10 we're just about done um but we still got a couple of little minor things just you know you get down to the end of it and it's can we license this photo can we use that photo it's you know the story is it's the story is done um but it's just little tweaks here and there uh, that should be done in the next couple of days and that'll be it. So yeah, it's been two and a half years for me. Mm, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So definitely not a response to winning time as a lot of people think it is. Oh, okay. It's definitely what it seemed like on the outside was, oh, it didn't win in time? No, but it was the timeline. It's not, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's different than what people think. No, we, um, could, we could not have put it together that fast. Right. Um, I want to know, um, you worked on, um, boy, this is some, the Lakers Hulu, Ali, what's my name? Um, what, what was it like working on, on that one? I, I mean, I, 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 Muhammad Ali, what's the same? That was an HBO documentary. Um, I'm just, I'm just curious because Muhammad Ali was such a, uh, a colorful figure, and it, and it and it makes me wonder if in that editing process, how much of like dealing with this like singular 
uh, person, how much that like did that change your 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 your, your uh, you know your thinking any when you were when you were editing it? You know, how much how much did, did, did working on a documentary featuring Muhammad Ali? How did that uh, uh, impact your creative uh, process on that that uh, documentary? So he, you know, that was the first time I worked with Antoine. And Antoine's a big, big boxing fan. Um, and and my father, uh, you know, he was a photographer and worked for Boxing Magazine for years um, when I was a kid. And he would take me to go watch fights. And so I was I was very familiar with the fight world. Um, and I, but Ali, obviously, was you know, was a little before, you know, I, I mean, there were, he fought a little bit when I was really young, but I didn't, I didn't know Ali much more than, you know, he's the greatest. I've watched a couple of fights, but I didn't know him as a person. I didn't know all, the full story. And, you know, the way I looked at it was like a master, it was like a master's class in, in Ali. Um, you know, it was about a year and a half. And one of the things that Antoine always said was like one this is about greatness and what makes him what made Ali great, not just as a fighter, but as a person. And why do we still look at him the way we do? And then two was he is such a bigger than life character that, you know, he's like a movie star. And anytime our story started to go away from him, he was like, wow, we got to get back to the movie star. Where's my movie star? Why are we talking about anything else? Like, give me my movie star. And he, you know, at one point he talked about it like Denzel, like, you know, when you have a Denzel movie, there's only so long that you can go into seeing somebody else. Like, where's Denzel? Why isn't he on screen right now? And that was the same with Ali. Um, but it was, you know, what was fascinating to me about him was, you know, that was a, it was a two part documentary, both of them a little under an hour and a half that he could hold the screen for three, essentially three hours and just him and he you know he he's so big and and he was so smart and and from such a young age i mean you look at the when he changed his name and that was you know one of the why it's called what's my name like he did that at such a young age and to understand what he was doing and to put it on this big stage and what it did to his career and i mean the effect it had on so much you know it was just it was it was a great, you know, like I said, master's class in Ali, but also just to watch what this man did over his life. And, you know, it reminds you, like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, like he everything he did had a meaning, had a reason, was felt important to him. Uh, and so I thought, you know, it was just I felt, you know, I was just lucky to work on it when it really comes down to it. You know, it's. He's he's the greatest for a reason, right? Um, so you mentioned that uh, that it was that because Ali was a little before your time, it was like a master class in, in education in Muhammad Ali and his life uh, and his career. So I want to know, like, are you are you a basketball fan? Are you a Lakers fan? I know so, you're from yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a yeah, I'm a big basketball fan. I I will say I'm a you know I'm a lifelong Warriors fan. Um, okay, <laughs> but, but, but I was not. I'm not a. I'm not a. I was not a Laker hater. I have plenty of friends who are Laker haters. Um, but no, I was. Uh, but yeah, I grew up. 
you know, in the run TMC days of the Warriors, um, you know, went through a lot of terrible, terrible years with them. Um, you know, we've had a nice little run recently, but, uh, but working on this Lakers doc definitely gave me a whole new appreciation for the, the franchise for one, the bus family for two, and then, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, when Kobe was playing, I definitely did not appreciate him on any level that on the level that I do now. I mean, being able to dig in and watch those games again, watch all the interviews with him at the time, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, beyond, you know, like I, for me, I grew up a big Jordan fan and watching Jordan. And when Kobe came around, it was always just like, come on, be yourself. Stop imitating Jordan. Stop him. You know, I, I had a little bit of that, like, you'll never be Jordan. Um, but, you know, going back now and kind of reliving all of that, it's, you know, he was his own, you know, he, you know, he definitely came in and tried to be Jordan for sure. But then he, you know, I don't know, better than who knows, whatever, that's an endless debate, but he definitely, be, he, he became his own for sure. Um, but yeah, now, you know, my Laker fan now, uh, you know, that might be pushing it, but, um, you know, I'm, de- I'm definitely, I'm definitely pulling for the Warriors over that, but you know, they're, 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 they're a second place now for me. Okay. There we go. We'll take uh, it. We'll take it. Uh, um, you guys will have it uh, to jump in. If not, I'll keep going. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I got a, I got a, it's not so much a, it's not so much a question. I just have a comment. Um, yeah, it just seems like we've really been, you know, going back to the, the, the legacy documentary, it feels like we're really setting up for the, you know, the, the, the tension between Jeannie and Jimmy. So I'm just, I'm really excited for that because, you know, I, you know, thinking back, obviously we've been following, you know, all we've been following the Lakers for so long. And I remember that time period. It was, you know, it was, it was tense felt like in the city just during that time. So I'm really excited to see how you guys, you know, portray that. Cause it, I mean, all through the episodes, you can kind of, you can see it just from even just their answers. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. See how yeah, it was, um, you know, they, we did, what they talk about, yeah. we did eight interviews with Jeannie, nine interviews with Jeannie and four or five interviews with Jim um and Johnny and then and then one with Janie it, you know it's fascinating it's fascinating what they had to deal with where where you know just looking and I think it's you know it's obviously I've watched every one of these episodes so many times but I've been watching them as they come out again and to watch it kind of unfold in you know in the time of the show and seeing when it all started and where they all, you know, when they were doing this and when they're, you know, like the, the back and forth, mm-hmm. and who's going to do what, and you know, and obviously like it all happened. So there's no real spoilers, but, but yeah, it's, um, they, they, they talked about it, you know, episode nine, eight, we get into it, you know, it's, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, Ooh. you know, I think, Obviously, it was all in the public, but, you know, and Jim, Jim was, you know, he got interviewed a few times on ESPN and stuff, you know, like it wasn't like he was not out there. Jeannie was out there more. Um, 
but they they go into it and and every all of them do johnny and jesse and joey the younger brothers and janie like everybody talks about it um so yeah it, go, it goes there in episode nine uh, oh. Sam, are you about to say something no no i'm no, I mean, shame. Yeah, okay. yeah. And question in a comment. Um, I'm a my idol all time was Nick Van Axel, so I love the whole feature you guys had <laughs> on him in that episode. And I was just, and I was wondering, I, I liked the feature, and I was wondering, was that was was the trade ever talked about being added to it, or did they, they want to talk about it? Even though it was kind of small, um, but in terms of like freeing up Kobe to be Kobe, trading Nick Van Axel with Eddie Jones kind of like helped him take off, and then it, it mm-hmm. changed the landscape. Then add Glenn Rice. I was wondering what that part ever talked about, or he just didn't want to get into it because it's, it's kind of an urban legend of how he got uh, how Nick Van Axel got traded. I just wanted to wonder was, was it ever talked about? No, we didn't really get into it. You know, it was. It's a, it was such a tough thing what we talked about, like going into the project with trades and injuries, right? It's like the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people coming to the, you know, tra- getting traded to the team, getting drafted, whatever, all of the ins and outs of all these players. And, and it, you know, we c- obviously, we don't have the landscape, the time to tell every one of them. And so we, we made the decision to like really get into the ones that, that made a difference that made a very clear difference, you know, like, like uh, Norm Nixon and Byron Scott coming in, like Norm leaving Mm -hmm. and Byron coming in on that one Mm -hmm. trade was such a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for the team, Byron being the player that he became, Norm being the player that he was before he left, you know, so, but the players, as they just kind of came and went, if it didn't mean bringing in a big player, it was harder to really talk about them leaving. Um, But yeah, obviously, you know, Nick and Eddie, just being able to get them, I think was, was great. You know, it was a, it was a. Eddie don't do interviews like that. No, and Nick, you know, I mean, Nick kind of jokes about it with Kevin, the producer, you know, they were going back and forth for like, I mean, months and months and months and Nick would kind of ignore mm-hmm. him and not respond. And then they, they finally agreed to it and Kevin showed up and he was like, hey, you know, sorry, I kept bothering you. He was like, I was always going to do it. I was just fucking with you, you know, so like, Nick the quick. But, you know, what I will say is that when it came down to it, it was like, you know, they are almost every one of them if not every one of them they did it for genie like they you know it was like i genie you know genie genie called genie email linda called like it, they they all i mean they all love the bus family like all of them just like doesn't matter if they were there for a year or 20 years you know it was just like they they love that family and that organization i mean john sally talks about it like that was the best time of my life and i you know i mean he, he's got a ring you know i mean he, he's played with the best of them and he was only he's there a bad for, boy yeah i mean you know and, <laughs> but they they all look at their time in the purple and gold as like the best time of their life right um i hate to keep bouncing around from 
film to film. But okay. I wanted to I wanted to make sure I don't forget. Uh, so you you did you also um you uh, the editor for uh, another series with Hulu that's ongoing the Wu Tang series, an American saga. Um, you mentioned that the Ali, both the Ali and the uh, and the Lakers uh, uh, pieces were, you know, things where you you learned some things that maybe you that you didn't know before, realized some things you didn't realize before. Are you? I want to know. This, are you? Did you grow up a, a hip hop fan? Oh uh, yeah, you're, yeah. Like a, you're from the Bay Area. You're from San Francisco. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, or what? What is that? What has? What has that experience been like? It's ongoing. Uh, but how much of a hip hop fan are you? And and, and how much have you learned about Wu Tang since you've been working on that uh, that series? Um, no, I'm, I grew up a big hip hop head. Um, I like actually. So the the showrunner, executive producer, Alex C. It was Alex C. and and RZA who were the showrunners and executive producers, creators of the show. Alex C. and I went to high school together, um, and we'd been talking about trying to work together for years. And then when that came up, um, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, but yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, I, I mostly it was, you know, in my Walkman was either hip hop or jazz, you know, depending if I was, if I was doing my work, I was on, I was listening to jazz. If not, I was, I was all hip hop. Um, and when I first moved to LA, actually, I was uh, I was playing at a club. Some friends of mine and I were playing at an open mic night at a club in Hollywood, and uh, and we were like the house band. And a rapper named Medusa came through. I don't know if you guys know her. She's in L.A. underground. She was from the like the Project Blowed. Her and uh, Freestyle Fellowship and underground L.A. cats from Lemur Park, and she came through, and I ended up playing with her for a couple of years around LA and we did shows with KRS one and uh, you know, a long list of players, you know, a long list of people, uh, black IPs before they really hit and Ozo Motley and mm. LA groups. Um, so yeah, that was, I knew, I knew I was pretty dialed in. Mitch? Mitch, there's some static coming from your end uh sorry about that jake yeah oh, all good um but yeah i was pretty dialed in with 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 the whole wu-tang world i mean I, you know i didn't know the kind of how they came together and the the backstory when they were when they were kids but um but the, as far as the music went i was very very familiar okay um you worked on this uh this film with um, starring Robin Robin Williams uh, called Boulevard. Um, I know you worked, you know, Robert Downey Jr., Channing Tatum, Terrence Howard, Shia LaBeouf. But I mean, Robin Williams was a living legend while he was a, he was alive, and, and his death even more so. Um, what was it like working, just having like the privilege and the and the honor to be the editor of a film? To start, uh, start to start Robin Williams, and what was that editing process like creatively? Uh, where you know, editing a, a, a talent like Robin Williams. So that was, 
the um, the director that was the same director as the the first film I did, um, and we've done seven films together. Um, but doing that was, I mean, you know, all those names that you've listed off, like you know, I feel lucky and privileged to have been able to to cut scene cut movies with them. Um, but yeah, Rob Williams is like next level, right? I mean, just mm -hmm. decades and decades of of unbelievable work and that ended up being it, it was actually the last film that he shot before he before wow. he passed away um but yeah it was it was unbelievable i mean everything he did you know from the editing side of things you know he could kind of do no wrong like he you know it was the the, the i think the tough one of the toughest things was you know at times he he would almost, you know, it's a very dramatic movie, um, but he he can't help but bring a smile to the screen. And, you know, it was just at times trying to like make sure that he didn't, his smile didn't take it over and take away from what was supposed to be dramatic at times. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was great to be able to work on that. Um, You mentioned something, you mentioned uh, how you're still, you know, the, the, you know, episode 10, you're still kind of working out the kinks as far as, uh, um, you know, like the licensing and, and being able to clear all the different images and footage and stuff like that. As somebody who's kind of, like I said, I, you know, I kind of tr tried my hand at filmmaking and stuff like that, you know, technically, uh, well, not so much technically, but just like the kind of behind the scenes aspect of that, as far as getting footage cleared. I mean, there's so much, I mean, I, there's so much, uh, archival footage and and these uh and this stuff that you can't even you know it's not even on on youtube you know i, I like the, the my like i said my favorite part was uh at the the uh the end of episode was it i guess it was episode six when they when they uh when dr bus is talking to jim hill everybody in la knows jim hill the great uh former football player turned uh, broadcaster and they're talking and it's, it's after, it's after they won the first championship with the three-peat and I just, I was like, man, it's just, like, it's not, that's not even on YouTube. So like, well, what is that like though for people like me who try to make movies and stuff like that? What, what is that like, you know, when you're, when you're working on major, uh, you know, films that are, you know, uh, for commercial purposes, how, how hard is it, you know, how difficult is it sometimes to get, especially when you're working on documentaries, to get that type of archival uh, images and, and, and footage to get it, to get it clear so it can, uh, so it can be in the, uh, the film? You know, it's um, it's tough there. And there's there's so many layers to it, you know, and from the from the editorial side, I'm just like, you know, give me everything. Um, and then there's there were on this, there was a, a big archival team. Um, you know, we had a few archival producers that were constantly digging um, and reaching out to all the different vendors, you know, they reach out to all the networks and just get anything and everything that they have. Then there's going deep dives on YouTube. And then, you know, and then there's also just reaching out to individuals who may just have footage. Um, you know, in, in episode five, the audio of Jerry West talking about Kobe at that first, at the tryout, um, you know, that was a tape that Bill Burke, you know, longtime assistant coach, 
he has a garage full of tapes and he had any they're all very organized and he knew that he had a tape that he recorded an interview with jerry west before and after that that workout and so we reach out to all of these people and then the archival producers they they handle all of the actual licensing and i don't really understand like i mean i understand it but i don't get into it so much so but but yeah it's a it's it's a tough job it's a long job and you know there's a lot of contract work and you know it's a lot of negotiating and a lot of back and forth and and everybody from you know the nba to espn to you know some individual who just has a vhs tape with some footage you know all of those deals are different and you know they're all negotiated throughout the process okay uh mitch i know that's from crackling right now if you i don't know if you could if you could do anything about it um let me see anybody else got any questions i got a couple more <laughs> okay um you worked on uh the editor of the uh and the oscar goes too um i read that that plays i think every year before the oscars um i mean <laughs> i mean that uh, that's almost i mean that's like that's timeless right there i mean my goodness to be the editor of something that plays every year before the Oscars, what was it like? Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if that's something that people can watch publicly. But can you explain a little bit, like what that, um, what that was like, and just a little bit about what it's, uh, what it is, like how long is it, and and things like that. Yeah, so that was, you know, the the directors of that are uh, uh, two guys named uh, Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman, who are Academy Award winning documentary filmmakers. Uh, I've worked with them a few times. I did a movie called Howl with them um, quite a few years back. And then we did that the, and the Oscar goes to, and then we did the Linda Ronsack doc together. Um, and they are phenomenal filmmakers. Um, and they called me and they had been approached, I believe it was by the Academy to make a documentary about the history of the Academy Awards. Um, and it's a it's a 90 minute around 90 minutes uh, feature length documentary about the history of the Academy Awards. And, you know, it was another one, obviously working in the business. I know, you know, a bit about the film industry and the history of film, but getting to work on that and really dig into the history of all of it was fascinating. And, you know, and the, the access we got to all of the footage from the Academy and you know and the the actors that showed up for interviews it was you know it was incredible it was a it was a fast job there was three editors on it um and we didn't have much time so we had to get through it quickly but but yeah it was a blast to work on that and uh yeah and i i i think it still plays every year i know they were doing it for a few years and i think it still goes every year before the before the awards right okay so my my last question is just do you have any advice for any people? Because I've always said that, you know, I, I feel like maybe in my, I mean, you, I mean, you could argue, I mean, I always say that, you know, it, it obviously takes more than one person to make a movie. Uh, and, you know, it, it's hard for any one person to, to you know, to do, a, to do a movie by themselves, even a, a two minute short film or commercial or whatever, 
and it'd be any good. It takes different people coming in and lending their creative uh, juices and their creative instincts to any film, I feel like, in order for it to be any good. But I wanted to know, so for the people out there who are, who are editors or like, you know, people like me, like amateurs who are, you know, maybe that's their weakness is that, you know, some people have that. They have that instinct of where to cut here and what type of cuts to make and what type of special effects to add here. Do you have like just any general advice to people out there? Uh, you know, like I said, amateurs who are, who are, who are trying to improve their editing skills because editing is so important to any, to any film. Do you have any just kind of general advice for people on how they can get better, how they can kind of find their sort of editing voice and their creative voice in that, in that regard? Yeah, I mean, first, you know, like you said, nobody, you can't do this on your own. And, you know, and they, you know, legacy is a, a good example. I mean, you know, when we were at our biggest, you know, we were having Zoom, our weekly Zooms, and it would be, I don't know, 35 people on there. Um, you know, and even from the editing side, you know, I'm, I was the supervising editor, you know, I, I did the first three episodes on my own, you know, I got, I got the editor credit for the first three episodes, but we had, you know, another editor, Brian Johnson, another editor, Michelle Witten, and another editor, uh, Brad Grossman, and then a big team of assistant editors and, you know, so it was a very collaborative, just on the editing side, never mind the production side and every and the archival side. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it takes a it takes a big team and it's a very very collaborative uh, job. You know, and and just every project is that, like you said, from thirty second commercials to ninety minute movies to ten hour series. Um, so that is is important to remember, you know, I think for people who want to be directors, understanding that you have to trust people to do what they do, you know, even if it is yours, you have to hand over some of it. Um, but then, you know, as far as advice, like to me, the biggest thing is is doing the work, you know, is is creating, you know, and creating things that you like. And one of the things, you know, when I was playing music. You know, one of the things that all of my teachers always said was listen to the stuff that you want to sound like, you know, and I think it's similar with with film and television is watch the stuff that you love that you want to be making and dissect it and understand what it is. And and from the editing side, I mean, to me, one of the biggest things is I cut something if I feel like it's working and it's good, the next big test is to show it to other people. And, and there's like, there's two steps to it. I think there's one is sitting there watching it with other people. I immediately, you know, I'll know if it's, you know, if it's a 10 minute thing, you know, okay, at about two and oh, here comes that part two minutes in, like, ah, I should have made the change. I don't even need the people to say that there's something wrong. I'm already feeling that like, I wish I had changed that a little bit. So I already, you know, I'm already writing that note of like, okay, I need to change that before it even starts, you know, cause I just know like, I wish I had, you know, whatever it's, you know, I wish I had picked different music for that. Or I wish I had, you know, used a different shot to start the scene. Um, but you immediately get that feeling, you know, when you sit in a room by yourself, it's easy to think that something is good when you 
when you play it in a room with other people, that feeling, you know, hopefully it doesn't change. Hopefully you sit there and you're like, I think it's great. But there's a lot of times you go and press play in front of other people and you start to you start to doubt yourself. And if you're doubting yourself when other people are watching it, then you need to make changes. Um, and then there's the response from people. You know, I mean, it's like I remember in the music world. When I was making music, it's, you know, it's a similar thing. You make something at home, you, you work on it, you get it to a place. Then you play it in your car and it sounds different in your car. And then you play it in a car with your friends. And then it, is, it, is it still hitting the way that it was hitting in the studio by yourself? And, and you get that feeling immediately. Um, but it's, you know, it's just keeping doing the work. You know, I tell people like, if you don't have the money, cause it's not like it's, you know, it's gotten cheaper and cheaper to be able to make things. You can take a phone out there and you can shoot stuff and it can look great. Um, but even that, like, you know, just the work of like, find a song that you love, download some footage, make a music video to that song, just like create, just create, you know, it's like work on the editing and work on, you know, and you, you'll start to feel what feels good to you. Do you like, you know, some editors I know use a lot of dissolves. Some editors never use them. I need for a long time. I like never, I didn't understand, like they didn't make sense to me unless it was, I, I never felt like they were necessary. Like you can just cut. And now more and more I've started using more dissolves. Like, you know, you just start to feel these things when you start experimenting and doing stuff. And it's really about just getting out there and, and doing the work and, you know, find people that are doing it also, you know, it's, it's, if it, you know, means going down to USC film school and finding some, you know, board and saying, yeah, I'm an editor, I'll work for free, you know, like, cause that's when you meet those people, if I had never met my friend Ditto when we were doing music for television commercials and he was making that movie, I, w I wouldn't be doing this, you know, and it was, you know, it's, I, I've, I know so many people that like, the film school side of things, what you learn is one side, but the almost bigger upside is you're around a bunch of people who just want to be working and making movies or making TV or whatever. So you're surrounded by people who are doing the work. So you get to do the work with them. You know, it's uh, Ryan Coogler and his editor went to USC together, Barry Jenkins and Joy McMillan and, uh, Nat Sanders and I'm forgetting the cinematographer, but Barry Jenkins, whole team, they all went to Florida State together. Like, it's just their friends, their friends working together, you know? And, and so you find those people and you do the work and you keep doing the work and then hope that it pays off someday. Right. All right, Mr. Pashinsky, man, I want to, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I know it was delayed a couple of times. I'm fine. Glad we were finally able to to get it down and I was able to get all my uh, my questions out. Um, is there is there any uh, like any I don't know if you have any social media you want to promote or or anything else you want us to tell us to look out for that any any upcoming projects that you have coming out soon? Uh, can I get one more question? Yeah, oh yeah yeah please please yeah okay uh, what I want to ask uh, Oh, yeah, that's what I want to ask. Um, so uh, in the final few episodes of Legacy, you know, should we expect more, uh, you know, interviews from Vanessa? And then, you know, also, you know, how hard was it to kind of navigate 
uh, you know, talking about Kobe, you know, especially, you know, obviously with him no longer being with us. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit more with Vanessa. Um, you know, and the, the, the Kobe of it all was, it was tough. I mean, luckily he, he played at a time and was alive at a time when, you know, he was getting interviewed a lot. And so there's a lot out there. Obviously it's nothing like being able to look back, like all of these other players have been able to do, um, you know, similar to what I was talking about with how all these players talk about the bus family. I mean, the way they all talk about Kobe is just, it's unreal. Like, I mean, they all, it's all, you know, I mean, it's all Kobe, you know, I mean, and, and well-deserved, but they all loved him. Um, and they all love him. Um, but yeah, it was a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing. You know, the, the Ali documentary, we didn't do any interviews. It was just, it's Ali and Ali's voice. And that was Antoine's decision. He wanted it just to be Ali telling his own story and not get these outsiders talking about, you know, how they felt about him or you know what their memories of him and you know and they and this is a different thing because we have all of these interviews but then we don't have Kobe you know and I think it's and you know and looking just flipping through Twitter you see how how much people miss him on so many levels and definitely and then within this documentary it's like you can't help but feel it like and and can't help but like wish that we had him around to talk about all of this stuff and, and to hear what he, what he thinks now, what he would think now of all of that stuff and everything that happened, you know, I mean, when he first showed up, you know, there's the interviews of him around that time. And, you know, and I mean, he's a kid, right. He's a kid and, and he's also, but I mean, you know, a very advanced kid on so many levels and, and mentally very advanced. And, you know, his media training at that age was already so advanced that like he knew when he was being interviewed, what to say and what not to say. So it's like, you know, to be able to hear the, you know, 44 year old version of himself now talk about what it was like as that 18 year old kid, like we hear Derek Fisher talk about showing up from Little Rock, you know, it's like to, to, to hear him now, I mean, it, you know, it obviously would be priceless, but like, so it, it was a constant challenge, you know, and, and to tell his story and try to make it feel like he wasn't just missing, um, you know, and, I think at times we we did a good job of it, but it, it, he's missing, you know? I mean, it, it just is what it is. Um, but, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you all have seen the trailer for the new Redeem Team documentary that's coming out. <laughs> and, you know, and they, they there was the trailer and then they just released this clip of him, you know, the, the scene with him and Pow when they played against each other and, and all these guys talking about like, you know, Kobe, Kobe's there, right? The interview is there, but I mean, what it would be like to hear him talking about it now. I mean, it's like, you know, that, that story of him, like, you know, he, he walked out and he's like, first play, I'm running through his fucking chest. Like <laughs> he was a killer, right? He was a killer on the court, but 
at the same time, like him and power, I mean, like this, right. And you know, there's not there. I don't know that those, those players don't exist anymore. Right. The, like that level of competition. I mean, that, and that's another place where Jordan and Kobe, I think were, were so similar. Jordan may have been your boy, like on the golf course, sort of, you know, but he wasn't going to lose. He'll kill you before he loses. And, and Kobe had that same mentality. Like, I am not going to lose. I'll, I'll, whatever it takes. I don't care if Powell's my boy. Like, I'm playing against you right now. You're not my boy on the court. And now this new age of, of baller, you know, they've known each other. They played AAU together since they were eight. They've played on – they've all known each other for so long. And, you know, and never mind the fact that they're all making so much money, you know, they're on their yachts together after the season's over. Like, I don't think they have that same killer instinct. They all, I mean, obviously they're all big, big time competitors and they all want to win, but I don't know if it's that same, like, you know, magic and Isaiah, like, like magic talks about, I don't, I don't care who's on, I don't care if my mom's on the court, I'm going to win. Right. Like, I mean, I'm sure, you know, they would all say they have it. I just, you don't see it as much as you used to. Um, but so all that being said, like, I mean, yeah, we all wish, you know, we had Kobe's voice in there, you know, it, it would, there were so many times in the process where it was like, ah, if we just, you know, if we had him, you know, not just on a, like, I mean, they're on a desire to know what he would say, but also just, then the just the logistical side of like I don't know can we even tell this story because he's not here we don't have him like does it feel right and then, you know and getting Vanessa's voice in there a couple of times in this last episode you know I thought was great I think it's you know I think it it just hearing her that you know the no trade clause like it's just like you know that that was her and you know and she it, it you know I think it brings a humanity and just like a you know it's just I, I can't help whatever, whenever I see her pop up, I can't help but smile. You know, it's just, it's great to see her and, you know, and it was great to, I was there when we did the interview and, you know, she couldn't have been more lovely and, you know, and appreciative of the project. You know, she just, um, so yeah, I feel like we were just lucky to get her. But, you know, there's, there's, there's some things coming in these next couple of episodes. I, I'll say that much. Well, yes, who, just, just quickly, you said that you were there for Vanessa's interview. How many of the interviews were you there for in person? Um, let's see. I mean, probably about half of them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I went out. We went out to Miami to get Pat Riley. Um, we went to. We ended up meeting Shaq out in Dallas. I went out to that. Um, I was there for one of the Phil interviews, a handful of the genies, um, you know, the ones I went to a bunch of the ones, you know, we did a lot at the, uh, at the Lakers practice facility in El Segundo. And so I went to a bunch of those and then went on a couple of the trips where we went to, where we filmed people out of state. Um, so yeah, probably about half. Okay. Awesome. Wow. That's great. Um, okay, uh, Jake, 
Uh, you have, like I said, I still said, do you have any other, any upcoming projects that you want us to look out for or any social media you want to promote? Um, no, no, no other projects yet. This was, a, you know, this one kind of, kind of took my time for the past couple of years. Um, you know, and you listed off a bunch of the stuff that I've worked on over the years. Um, you know, the, the Ali thing is one of the things I'm most proud of. Um, and then I always, you know, the first movie I did, A Guide to Recognize Your Saints, I feel like is one of the, there, there's actually, there's two movies that I've worked on that I feel have not gotten the attention they deserve. It's A Guide to Recognize Your Saints, which is, you know, it was Downey, Rosario Dawson, Chad Palminteri, uh, Channing Tatum, Shia LaBeouf. Um, the cast was ridiculous. Um, and then, oh, Diane Weiss was in that. And then I did another one in around 2010 called 10 Years. And it was a 10 year high school reunion movie. And it was Channing, Rosario Dawson, uh, Oscar Isaac, Chris Pratt, uh, Kate Mara, uh anthony mackie it was like at the time every like 30 year old actor in hollywood showed up for this thing and nobody saw it um <laughs> and it's a, i think it's great it's a great little you know it's a you know it's a it's a comedy love story 10-year high school reunion movie um that just you know didn't get the distribution and and uh and marketing that i felt like it should have um so I don't know. I don't know if it's available. I don't know where it's streaming or if it's streaming anywhere, but it's worth checking out. And, and then, you know, social media, you know, I mean, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and stuff, but it's not like I don't, I'm not really, you know, unless people want to see pictures of my kids. Like, you know. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Uh, thanks again, Jake, man. It's a, an honor to have you on and get so much insight into the, uh, Industry editing, I mean the Lakers, uh, you know, behind the scenes, the making of the, the, the docu series, Lakers docu series, and uh, just yeah, once again, man, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, and um, you know, watch out for episodes nine and ten, and then let's uh, let's hope that the Lakers have a nice little run this year. <laughs> appreciate okay. it. We don't need it. All, All right, right, fellas. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's All right, thank you so much, Jay. Thank you. Thank you so right. much. Have a good one. You too. <clears throat> All right. So uh, before we get out of here, uh, just a few reminders. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button next to the Complete Lakers podcast. If you prefer the audio version, uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. The show is also on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and every other major podcast. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at TC Pod Network and to like it on Facebook. Just search for the Complete Lakers Podcast. And finally, send feedback and mailback questions to Complete Lakers Podcast at gmail.com. We are out. Apologies to Herbert. We ran out of time.